I am in part two in a series on holiness. And so we kind of picked that up last week and defined the term biblically so that we could be on the same page as we talk about that. In essence, it means to be separate and distinct. And uh, the way that we become separate and distinct is through God's commandments. That's what makes us different. And we're called to be different. Called to be different than the world, right? And so that's really what holiness is all about. And it touches every area of our lives. In fact, holiness is a way of life for the believer. So today I want to talk about holiness in apparel. That God instructs us how to dress. He gives us some ideas about fashion, if you will, in order to make us separate and distinct from the world that we live in. So we're going to talk about this issue of clothing, this issue of symbols, and I know that that might be a little challenging to all of us due to the context, the culture, the society that we live within because it's wrapped in gender issues which are big issues, explosive issues. So today I want to address that through um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. That's going to be our primary passage that we're going to look at. And if we have time, we'll look at Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5. Now the Corinthian passage, very controversial, and it's very, very difficult to unpack. It's complicated. Uh, I'm going to attempt to glean some basic principles from it and make some application. I don't have a corner on the truth. I have just a perspective on the truth. So bear with me, wrestle with the text, visit the text, meditate on the text, and see what God is saying to you. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, is addressing issues related to blurring the gender distinctions of male and female, man and woman. There's nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, that's not an ancient phenomenon. It's here today. It's always something that we've seen in our world. Corinth is a major pagan metropolis. And the church is called to be holy and distinct a representative of the beliefs and values of the king of heaven. But the church in Corinth is easily influenced by the world around her and is caving into its pressures. Now, we all want to be accepted. We all want to be at peace with our world. No one wants to be different than the cultural norms around us. It brings hardship sometimes even persecution, when we break away from the cultural norms. But that's exactly what the Messiah has commanded us to be. Different, distinct, in the language of the scriptures, holy unto him. Our cities, our nation, it's not much different than the Corinthian context in terms of immorality and paganism. Our values, our beliefs are being attacked and dismantled. Specifically, our views on sexuality and gender are under assault. Our culture demands that we embrace its views, and the government is forcing that on us through all three branches of government. I want to share a story with you. I 
have a friend that I was talking with last week. He teaches in one of our schools here in this great city. It's a charter school. And he thought because he's in a charter school, none of the stuff would come and basically touch them. You know, charter schools have a lot more freedom. But that's just simply not true. He said that they have policies in their school now, in their charter school, that require him as a teacher to address the student by whatever name they choose, regardless of their legal name regardless of gender. Whatever that student says, I want to be called by, he has to call them by that name. If Sue says, I want to be called Bob, he has to address her by Bob and also the personal pronouns that she chooses. He's required to do that or he'll lose his job. Now, if he's in a parental meeting, oh, He's not allowed to call the parent and and tell the parent, inform the parent, yeah, your child, you know, Sue wants to be called Bob now. He, He can't even tell the parent anything about that, or he can lose his job, unless he's in a parental meeting. In the parental meeting, he's no longer allowed to call her Bob or her personal pronouns of choice. He has to use the legal name in front of the parent without divulging what's going on behind the scene when the parent's not there. Is that just crazy? That is just crazy. So, you know, this assault on our biblical values is growing all around us. It's permeating society. It's, it's like we're back in the days of the Corinthians, right? Back in this culture, this Roman pagan culture that they had to actually wrestle with in their day. This assault will not stop until they're able to gain control in our homes and our churches. That's the next stop. That's where this is headed. They will not stop in their assault until the home and the church bows in in reverence to their perversion. And we will not bow. We will live out our faith. We will live out our values with great courage, empowered by the Spirit, And in thankfulness, in thankfulness for what God has given to us, we'll protect our homes and our churches at all costs. We are the people of God. We are Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, is with us. So who can stand against us? I think it would do well for all of our leaders in our nation to read the Torah every year. Understand who Israel is and why you don't want to touch on her. If, we, if you want your nation blessed, right, you should inform yourself by the history of Israel. Now, this text in Corinthian, it's going to challenge all of us to one degree or another. I want to remind you, this is not about salvation. This is not salvific. These perspectives that we're going to look at that Paul brings to us are not about how we get saved, but about how we live now that we are saved. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, not by commandments. We're saved by grace through faith and faith alone in Yeshua, the Messiah. But now that we're saved, God has called us to holiness, to a way of living that's commensurate with who he is, what he says is true and right, 
and good. Keep in mind, truth is first pure, then peaceable. Pure and then peaceable. Sometimes it shocks us, rocks us. It can be really unsettling. But over a period of time, as you grapple with it and embrace the truth, it brings peace. So don't be offended as I present the text. Take time, review it yourself, go home, meditate on it. Let the Holy Spirit lead and direct you in understanding what he has for you in this passage. Let the text speak. Ask God for his views and understanding. This is a text, like many texts, that are designed to form us. We call it formation. You know, we get broken down and built up, being conformed to the image of Christ. It represents a lot of change. And the change never stops, because we'll never come into the fullness of the image of Christ in our lifetime. What that means is even when we're older, right, there's still areas of our character that God is saying, bring that into conformity, son. Bring that into unity with my ways, daughter. So we're always growing. So we're always going to have seasons in which we're challenged and bothered, where God shines a light in an area that maybe we haven't understood. And that's okay. That's called growth. So let's jump into our passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to begin in verses uh, 1 and 2. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now I I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. What traditions? Yeah, Paul brought to them traditions. Well, I'm not into that. I just want the word. Yeah, what the word says Pay attention to the traditions also. What traditions? The ones that Paul is bringing to this community. Traditions have their place in the body of Messiah. The only guidelines for a tradition is it can't undermine the biblical text. It has to be in support of the text. But if the tradition being a man-made tradition is in support of the text and facilitates the text, it's a good tradition. There's nothing wrong with that. And Paul says, I have some traditions I want to bring to you that are good. I want you to embrace them. Verse 3. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. So we see in this passage the structure And the order of God, the design of God, that we see even in creation itself and all the way through creation, God has ordered the universe. It started in chaos, right? In the beginning, right? Uh, Bang! You know, there was life, there was creation, the heavens, the earth. And it was chaotic. The oceans, the waters. Leviathan, the symbol of chaos, covered the world. And then God began to order the world by separating the waters. He brought order out of chaos, and he ordered the universe. And through that came purpose, meaning, and blessing. This is part of that order. It involves hierarchy. In every realm of creation, we see this. Now, I want to make it clear that all of us, 
men and women, boys and girls, all of us, we are equal in worth. We are equal in essence. We are equally loved by God. But inequality exists by God's design in the role assignments given to us as men and women. This is what Paul's going to deal with in this passage. Verse 4, difficult passage. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Now that's a difficult passage. What does that mean? Does that mean I shouldn't wear a kippah? Am I disgracing myself by wearing a kippah? Who commanded the wearing of kippahs? Wasn't that Moses? God commanded Moses, tell the priests to wear these, these caps as a symbol, kippah coming from, from the Hebrew word kaparet, which means to cover. It's a covering. It covers my bald spot. Wasn't always bald. Um, it's, it's a kippah, though. It's meant to cover. Why? It's a symbol of atonement. And the priest's work, in essence, was the work of atonement. So the symbols involved that which communicated covering. Yeah, God commanded that. Is Paul undermining Moses? Is Paul contradicting what God commanded the priests to wear? Of course not. Part of the job in interpreting the text is you can't take an interpretation that contradicts clear teaching in other passages. No, what you got to do is you got to harmonize the text. You got to work with the interpretation in a way that it brings harmony to the other texts. So what is Paul talking about? I want to give you a different translation. This is by a renowned Greek scholar and translator on top of that, Kenneth Woost. And this is in his work entitled The New Testament, An Expanded Translation. He states the passage in this way. Every man while praying or prophesying, giving out the word of God in the public assembly, which word he received by divine revelation, having a shawl hanging down over his head, dishonors his head. That's a different read. And Kenneth Woost, working with the Greek and the context, is basically making the case that what Paul is talking about is cross-dressing. Women were wearing a particular head covering in public worship services. And the men were beginning to wear ones like them. And Paul's saying, every man who wears a covering like theirs dishonors himself. This is going to become clearer as we come down through this passage. He's certainly not saying, men, don't wear a kippah. That would pit Paul against Moses, and Paul was not against Moses. Paul was a champion of Mosaic teaching. Verse 5, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying 
disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. What woman with a shaved head? Who's he referring to? He's probably referring to the pagan cults in Corinth that had some influence in terms of the women in his community. And the women in those pagan cults would shave their heads. Oftentimes, the priestess in those cults would have a shaven head. Paul's saying, if you're going to be uncovered while you're praying and prophesying, you might as well shave your head and be like them. Verse 6, for if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. Now, of course, women have a natural covering, their long hair. That's the permanent covering, right? Paul's talking about the covering that goes on the covering. He's talking about the, the covering on the hair itself, which is a symbol, an outward symbol of her submission to the design of God in creation. She's saying, I'm submitted to the design of God. I have found my place in the design of God. I am under the rule and reign of the creator. I'm covered by him. The, 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 the head covering itself is not efficacious. It's a symbol. My wedding ring is a symbol. Whether I wear the ring or not, I'm still married. But it symbolizes that. It brings about this visual that communicates to everyone that I belong to Don. Well, the head covering, in a similar fashion, does the same thing. It's a woman's way of saying, I belong to God. I have found my place in his rule and reign. I have authority too, as a woman, a call, a role, a responsibility. And I'm at peace with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the image, or I'm sorry, is the glory of a man. Again, Kenneth Woost translates it as the following. For indeed, a male individual is morally obligated not to cover his head in that manner. What manner? Like he said earlier, in the same way that a woman covers her head. A man is not morally obligated to do that. In fact, a man should not cover his head in the same way that a woman covers her head. Again, this is about gender bending. This becomes clearer as we work down through the passage. Verse 8, For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 10, Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. She's supposed to have a symbol of authority on her hair, not her, her hair herself. Yeah, it's a covering. It's the permanent covering. But it's talking about what she's supposed to put on that covering, a covering on the covering, right? If it was talking about the hair itself, could you imagine, you know, if she shaved her hair, her, her, her hair that would be a shame, right? And so what's the penalty for that? Well, Paul says, if you, take the cover, if you take the covering off, let the head be shaved. Well, if, if she shaves her 
hair itself, right? Then what do you do as, as, as a response to that? Shave it again? No, it's already shaven. The covering that Paul's talking about is the covering that goes on the hair itself. This is a symbol of authority on her head. And it's not just cultural. It's not just a Corinthian thing. It's a God thing. He says, because of the angels. Why? Because of the angels. Well, are angels only in Corinth? Is that a local phenomenon? Did the angels only exist at the time of Corinth? So that it's a timing issue. Or is this a universal application? Because the angels have preexisted our creation. And the angels are everywhere. Out of respect for the angels, it can be translated because of the angels, out of respect for the angels, it has to do with the angels. It doesn't give us any, any more information. We don't know. We don't know what that's about. We do know in Genesis chapter 6 that the fallen angels, right, rebelled against God and they came down and cohabitated with women. And that created a huge split in the heavenlies. And the war ensued between good angels and fallen angels. And that war is continuing through this very day. So whatever it has to do with is tied into the angels. Some rebelled against God's design of authority and hierarchy. They wanted to have higher positions, so they rebelled. Other angels found their place and were at peace with whatever position they held in the heavenlies. Somehow this head covering is related to all of that. We know what it communicates. I'm not in rebellion. I'm in submission to my Father in heaven. He is my king. He's my glory. I love him, and I'm at peace with who I am and where I fit into his hierarchy, his design of authority. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 through 12. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is a man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Verse 14. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? He appeals to the angels, not the culture, and he appeals to nature itself, not the culture. So these become very important issues for us because if they're related to nature and the angels, then they're relevant for us today, especially when the issues today are much the same as what they were in the Corinthian church. So how is it, right, that nature itself teaches that men should have short hair and women should have longer hair. Where is that in nature, right? It's a great question. Think of the Roman Empire and the context back in the days that Paul wrote. Throughout the Roman Empire, men wore their hair shorter than women. Generally speaking, throughout the empire, men had shorter haircuts and women let their hair grow longer. That's how it was in Rome. Was that commanded by the emperor? No. By the governors? No. How did that happen? 
It happened naturally. It was just it was just the way things were. Men somehow innately said we're keeping our hair short. And women somehow said innately growing mine longer. And that was the context. That's probably what Paul's referring to. Is that men and women not being directed by any anyone, generally speaking, determined that men would have shorter hair and women would have longer hair. This was one of the great outward distinctions between male and female in the Roman Empire. Hairstyles became symbols communicating gender, male and female. Now, don't get all worked up about how long is long and how short is short. Okay? Because what Paul's saying is just make sure it looks feminine and make sure it looks masculine. Okay? So don't, don't, don't get caught up in getting out a ruler in front of the mirror. Okay, now, let me give, give you a story. My dad, military man, he got out of the service, and when he came home, he decided to run the household like he was still in the military. So, and I, I didn't like it growing up, but I look back, I'm so thankful. You know, he, he for me was a man's man. But my dad had this conviction. He had this conviction. He didn't explain why, he just said, do it. And his conviction was is the boys are gonna have short hair and the girls are gonna grow theirs out. Yeah. Now I'm not commanding parents here how to raise your children. I'm just giving you the story of my context. And then, and then maybe, you know, that will resonate with you in some way. My hair would get to a certain length and I'd have to kind of go like this because it would be in my eyes. So I'd kind of go like this. My sisters helped me because they were always doing it. I'd flip it. It'd get down inside my collar. I'd kind of flip it. My sisters were doing the same thing. Because when the hair gets to a certain length, you have to do those things, whether you're male or female, right? So I'd be doing this kind of stuff and flipping it and doing this, blow drying it, you know, like it was the Bee Gees, the era of the Bee Gees, man. My dad, he'd notice that and he'd say, what are you doing? I'd be at like the dinner table, you know. He said, what are you doing, son? I said, well, my hair. He said, Mom, cut his hair. Get his hair cut tomorrow. I want that boy's hair cut. I said, Dad, let me grow out my hair. He says, no, you're getting your hair. I said, why am I getting my hair cut? He says, you're flipping it like a girl. You're flipping it like a girl. You're not a girl. Son, you're a boy. Cut his hair tomorrow. I get my hair cut all the time. I was so mad at my dad. I grew up. I was so mad. You know what I did? When I finally got into high school, senior year, and then getting into college, yeah, I started pressing back on my dad a lot growing my hair longer than what he'd like because I was mad because it was like, you're not going to control me. It's my hair. It's my hair. It's like the women. It's my body. I was like, it's my hair. Yeah. I look back on that. I'm so glad my dad said, cut his hair. I'm so glad my dad made all of us boys get our hair cut short. My dad was trying to teach us what it means to be male 
and what it looks like to be male because those distinctions were and are important. He's also trying to teach his daughters what it means to be female and what it looks like. We were going through an era, you know, 40, 50 years ago of that unisex movement. It, it first started with unisex, you know, where you just neutralize both sexes and make them the same. And now, of course, it's gone far beyond that, right? It's just flip-flopped completely. Now, the exception to long hair for men, because you hear it all the time. How many people know Sean Fouette? Bethel worship leader, blonde hair, long. He's going throughout all the cities, doing worship services in all the cities. You know, like, it's the opposite of, like, the summer of love where they burnt down our cities a year and a half ago. It's the opposite of that, where they're just worshiping and bringing unity between the church and so forth. Well, he's an amazing guy, amazing evangelist. Lots of people are coming to faith, and he's doing this really extraordinary work. But he has long, blonde, curly, beautiful hair. And he gets kind of like addressed quite a bit as he's out on tour. And his response over and over and over is, I'm like, Samson, Samson had long hair. What are you going to tell him that he shouldn't have long hair? You know, go talk to Samson. He's always talking about Samson. Yeah, you know why Samson had long hair? He was a Nazarite from birth. He took the vow. He didn't even take the vow of a Nazarite. His mom had to be a Nazarite. She had to be a Nazarite before she even gave birth to him because he was supposed to be born a Nazarite by the word of the Lord and then live his life as a Nazarite. The way you do that is you can't have any grape juice, nothing from the grape, the vine, the skin, nothing. That was part of the vow. It was a religious thing. Yeah. That's the only exception to the rule. Now, I was in a crisis. I wanted long hair, but I also like Shabbat wine. What's a mensch to do, right? I got to choose long hair or wine. I kept my hair short and I drank fine Israeli wines on Shabbat. So that's how that works. All right. That's the exception. You can find that in Numbers chapter six. And then also the story of uh, Samson and Judges where he is a Nazarite from, from birth. And so there are the exceptions to the rule for long hair for men. 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her hair head uncovered? Paul says, you judge. Take what I've given to you. You search the scriptures. You look at these traditions I'm giving you. And you make up your own mind. Verse 15. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. Her natural long hair is her glory. It's the glory of a woman standing in front of the mirror. You know, got all kinds of stuff, makeup, do your nails. I mean, this is like the glory of a woman. A man, he's at the gym. He's like pumping weights at the gym, you know. You know, because the glory of a man is his strength. That's what it says in Psalms, right? And so you see that. Even in the sexes, the, the male and female. These are essential differences between the sexes. And there's many more, of course. But these are objective differences that we see, that we can see. He goes on to say, but if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice. 
no have nor have the churches of God. In terms of gender distinction in worship services, there are no other tradition, Paul says. This is the one that we stand on, that we say is important for all of our churches. So in summary, gender distinctions are sacred and imperative for meaning and happiness. Gender and sexuality arise from the design of God in creation. They are structured, they are ordered. Blurring the lines between them leads to the deconstruction and disorder of God's creation. And disorder always leads to chaos, and chaos to misery, and misery to confusion and death. Paul is addressing gender distinctions in apparel and hairstyles in the Corinthian church. The serpent is fast at work in twisting and perverting the order of God by blurring those distinctions. Gender bending and blurring has crept into the church. It's here today, and Paul's words are relevant. Dress and hair are the outward symbols of the order and glory of God's ways in relationship to male and female. We can learn from the Apostle Paul. We can make those distinctions so that our children can see and understand them and find glory and purpose and meaning in them. In truth, today, we've destroyed them. When our most intelligent and educated leaders in our land can't even define what a woman is, I can tell you it's gone far beyond gender bending. They've destroyed those distinctions. And who will speak out? Who will say something? We will. We're the people of God. We will bring the truth of God to our society. That's our job. Now I'm over my time limit a little bit, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and tell one more story, and then we'll pick this up next week. This has to do with the Deuteronomy passage. A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. When I was about five years old, uh, I don't even remember who did it. I think it was my mom and my sisters, or maybe it was just my sister. I don't know who did it, but they dressed me up like a little girl. I had a wig. I put a wig on, got a dress on. I was about five years old. Got some high heels on. They painted my nails, and they took pictures of me, and they laughed. They thought it was so funny. I thought it was funny. Yeah. I don't think God was laughing. I look back on that. I don't think God was laughing. Little Richard. Remember Little Richard back in the Elvis days, right? He tells the story of his mom and his aunts dressing him up like a little girl. He'd go around shuffling around in the big high heel shoes. He said he did that over a period of time and it triggered something in him. Shaped his sexuality at a very, very young age. He says that was a part of what drove me and led me into a homosexual lifestyle. So I look back and I can see where it began. God says, don't do that. Don't do that. How you dress, how you act, the symbols that you have that communicate the distinctions are important. Pay attention. Emulate those. Teach your children and teach them well. And we're all going to do that as best we can by the grace of God. Shabbat shalom. That's it. Thank you so much. And we will uh, see you next week. And until then, love on people, embrace people, and share the love and truth of God with them. Shabbat Shalom.